Well, well. <laughs> <laughs> we're here to start talking about what does it mean to be human? How are we human? I don't know. We're still figuring it out. We're figuring a lot of things out. I'm Craig. <laughs> and I'm Carla. And we're trying to understand being human from the perspective, perspective of God's story in the Bible. It's more than just being a species like Homo sapiens. We think it's about community, about relationships, and about welcoming. We're figuring it out, still. So, join us as we do. Because we're not holier than you. Oh, I didn't want that to rhyme. So welcome to Not Holier Than You, and today I'm here without my um, my partner, my life partner, my podcast partner. Carla is out of town for a few days, but um, I will try to uh, make my way through this material. Anyway, um, we're going to carry on with a topic that we were talking about last time. What we're trying to do is think theologically with these biblical texts, kind of spin them out and move them in another direction. Uh, what, what I mean by moving them in another direction is we're not just going to look at the Bible and say, oh, this is what the Bible says, or this is even what the Bible means and go through that process of interpretation. What we really want to do is look at some of these passages in the Bible that give um, some more heightened attention, some awareness to this issue of, of the image of God, the imago Dei, that we are continuing to mull over and and look at from different sides and in different ways. One of the things that we've stated repeatedly, and we're beginning to lay these foundations and, and won't be reviewing every single aspect, but might review some of these foundations, is that at the very creation of human beings, human beings are created together in God's image, and that God's image dwells in human being. As the, Gen as the Genesis passage states it, God made uh, the human being, uses the singular, God made the human being. Male and female, God made the human being. And it's interesting to have the separate parts, male and female, but have the conviction being this is one singular entity. This is one thing. This is the human being. And it's in the human being that we're told the image of God dwells. It, it's, it's not split up so that it dwells in the male and in the female. It's actually in the unity of all humanity. At, the, at this point, we've got two, be, two people but they represent the entirety of all people. So the image of God is in this unity of all people. And then throughout the early chapters of, of the, the story of Genesis, in metaphor and poem, this kind of prehistory is being cobbled together and we learn about expanding families 
and people going different directions and becoming different tribes and nations and language groups. And yet the promise given to Abram in chapter 12 and moving forward, and then also repeated in different ways in the prophets, but especially the prophet Isaiah, is that God's intention is to draw everyone together, to bring everybody back into this kind of reconciled human relationship. When I grew up, I don't know if you had this experience, but when I grew up, I had been not so much told, but I kind of intuited. I just I just picked it up that somebody was a Christian, somebody who was a Christian, somebody who was a follower of Jesus. Maybe Jews were in there as well, but definitely Christians were. That's who was part of God's family. God's family was made of people who had made the choice to fully participate in God's family. And if somebody had not made that choice to participate in God's family, they were considered outside of the family. And I remember this phrase that was used, maybe it was in the 70s, uh, along with peace movements, about the brotherhood of man. And I remember hearing somebody respond to that saying, well, no, all human beings are not brothers and sisters of each other. Only Christians are brothers and sisters of each other. Now, I don't know if a lot of people share that reflection or have had a similar experience to that uh, in other conversations they've had. But I found that one very um, disturbing at the time. Didn't really think about it too much. But I've been thinking about it more recently. And And how do we begin to fully embrace all the people we encounter as part of this family that God is trying to bring back together. I mean, imagine a holiday gathering. It can be, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, whatever it is that families get together for. You know, and 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 you know that there's certain things that can't be spoken of because it'll create division and tension and the families will, will argue and maybe even break apart and not speak to each other for a long period of time afterward. And, and there's so many news stories and opinion pieces and blogs being written these days about how that's happening in families. How even families who are family can't get it together. It makes it seem even more difficult that people who are not related to one another could actually become family to one another. Or not only become family to one another, but to own, identify, and embrace the fact that we already are family in the family of God. And God is just trying to bring all those brothers and sisters and cousins and etc. back together. And so what's our part in it, and how do we begin to understand that? So one of the things uh, I think we'll pick up on this time, I'm going to pick up a little bit on something we ended on uh, in our last conversation, and then have a little bit of a transition into some some uh, Bible material, and then, then kind of move out of this, you know, move, transition to another um, stage in this conversation. But one of the things we said we were going to do last time was we're going to say a little bit more about this fellow Hans Denk. Hans Denk was this early Anabaptist leader back in the uh, 16th century. And he was 
kind of um, one of the more mystical fellows among the Anabaptists. Uh, he was uh, from Germany, and many of the Anabaptists that others um, followed, many of them were with um, were within the Swiss tradition, which was really connected with uh, Ulrich Zwingli and some of that Protestant Reformation uh, stuff. The German Anabaptists, maybe this is getting into the weeds, but the German Anabaptists were a lot more uh, connected to Lutheranism or the Lutheran movement at the time and Roman Catholicism. Part of Roman Catholicism had always opened up this space for uh, more um, centering prayer, times of silence, introspection, um, the, the, the more monastic qualities of the Christian life. Uh, St. Francis of Assisi, uh, for instance, there was also a group called the Brothers of the Common Way. There were the Magdalens. Uh, so there were a number of different groups um, who, and the Beguines, I forgot the Beguines, a, a women's movement of, of Beguines, who sought to embrace the uh, spiritual disciplines of prayer, silence, fasting, along with the uh, embrace of community service. Uh, and action. And that's kind of the, the world, I think, that framed or, or shaped Hans Dank a little bit more. And so we were finishing off last time talking about uh, Hans Dank's interpretation of Micah, the, the book of Micah, and when he translated it, and in the summit, he did some sermons on it. And we ended with this quote, and I want to pick it up again and then do a little more uh, conversation about Hans Dank. Uh, Hans Dank believed that God desires the salvation of all peoples, and part of that sal that, that salvation was not just needing to preach to all people, but creating open spaces for all people to feel hospitality and hold on to that idea of hospitality because we'll pick it up, pick up uh, towards the the towards the end of this conversation. So Dink believed that God desires the salvation of all persons in a hot in in a, in a in a context of hospitality. And here's this quote. Uh, from Dank that we used last time. Since love in him was perfect, and I think we're talking about God or the or God as present in Jesus here. Since love in him was perfect, and since love hates or is envious of none, but includes everyone, even though we were all his enemies, surely he would not wish to exclude anyone. And if he had excluded anyone, then love would have been squint-eyed and a respecter of persons. And that love, God is not. So Denk was criticized for his belief that the disciples of Jesus um, had this feeling of they should fellowship with seekers from other faiths, that there was that the family of God was actually wide open. And his meditation on Micah 4, 2 through 7, excuse me. <coughs> Sorry about that. His meditation on Micah 4, 2 through 7 noted that on the mountain of God, each person will worship their God, their God, even as we worship Yahweh, our God. But God's work of restoration is what we are all engaged in together. Um the literal translation of Micah 4, verse 5 says, Though all the peoples, they shall walk each, each one, 
in the name of his Elohim, his God. Yet we shall walk in the name of Yahweh, our Elohim, for the eon and further, for forever and ever. Here's a poem by Hans Denk that it seems like it's, um, I think it's interesting to think of it in this context of this wide hospitality of God, that it's creating these open spaces where there isn't this uh, threshold or this litmus test that somebody must pass before they can be embraced. So here's, I, I don't even know the title of this poem by Hans Denk, but here's his poem. Oh, who will give me a voice that I may cry aloud to the whole world that God, the all highest, is in the deepest abyss with us and is waiting for us to return to him. Oh, my God, how does it happen in this poor old world that you are so great and yet nobody finds you? That you call so loudly and no one hears you? That you are so near and nobody feels you? That you give yourself to everybody and nobody knows your name. Men flee from you and say they cannot find you. They turn their backs and say they cannot see you. They stop their ears and say they cannot hear you. So maybe you want to dwell on that poem a little bit, just kind of think about it. Uh, I'll make sure to get the text of that written so uh, into the, the notes for this episode. But holding on to these ideas that, that Hans Denk lifts up, I think I, what I want us to do is take, a take some time to look at some Bible passages and kind of get some context here. We, we talked a little bit about um, Ephesians 2 last time but I'm going to reiterate. And so I'm going to begin uh, reading at uh, verse, uh, verse 13 is probably a good place. Well, I'll go ahead and start at verse 11, chapter 2, verse 11. So remember that once you were Gentiles by physical descent. And it's important when we listen to Paul talk about Gentiles to recall what he's saying is you were people who were outsiders. You weren't part of the Hebrew promise and lineage. Uh, you weren't born into this. Actually, you had to make a decision at some point. So when he says, remember that you were just you were Gentiles, it's also saying, remember, you were once outsiders. And even if you don't feel like you were because the way you grew up, perhaps in the church, um, then your parents or your forebears generations back someone was that gentile who was welcomed in so remember that once you were gentiles by physical descent who were who were called uncircumcised by jews and who are physically circumcised at that time you were without christ you were aliens rather than citizens of israel and strangers to the covenants of god's promise in this world you would you had no hope and no God. But now, thanks to Christ Jesus, you who were once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. 
Christ is our peace. He made both Jews and Gentiles into one. With his body, he broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. He canceled the detailed rules of the law so that he could create one new person out of the two groups making peace. He reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which ended the hostility to God. Now, we made um, a lot in the first couple of episodes and continue. We, we mentioned um, at the beginning of the creation of human beings, we have one story in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where the human being uh, is created you know, male and female, God created the human being. So it's in the unity of these people that the image of God is, is fully uh, present. And we have the other story, though, where the human beings are now named in Genesis 2. And we have Adam, and we find out that when, when he goes to sleep, God takes half of him and creates uh, his partner, his helper, who becomes Eve, becomes known as Eve. Here in, in, in Ephesians, Paul is hearkening back to that same metaphor, that same language, but now he's using it to talk about groups of people. And as these groups of people become one, the image of God becomes more fully present. So let me read that again and think about how these images from Genesis 1 and 2 are being um, considered or maybe being remembered. So beginning at verse 15, he canceled the detailed rules of the law so he could create one new person out of the two groups making peace. Remember, the promise was a man would leave his uh, family, a woman would leave her home, and the two would become one. So here it is, the same phrase, the two would become one. And then verse 16, he reconciled them both as one body to God by the cross, which extended which ended the hostility to God. When he came, verse 17, he announced the good news of peace to you who were far away from God and to those who were near. Both have access to the Father through Christ by the one Spirit. So now you are no longer strangers and aliens. Rather, you are fellow citizens with God's people and you belong to God's household. In Ephesians, what we're having here is, is Paul say, this is the fulfillment of the, the hope of Isaiah, that all the nations would be drawn to the light and they would come and to find unity in God. It's the same images of unity and oneness that harken back to the element of creation. Now, thinking about that, there's a phrase that gets used in the Greek. It's called a lelon. And years ago, almost 20 years ago now, I consulted for a um, church uh, leadership training think tank consortium thing called a lelon. And I really didn't know what a lelon was until I started working for them and I looked it up. And a lelon is a Greek word in the New Testament that means one another. And when we begin thinking about all the one another texts, in, 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 especially in the letters of Paul, but in the New Testament, 
you get bear one another burden you get love one another you get greet one another you have this phrase one another used frequently and the 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 depth behind that phrase one another isn't like oh be nice to somebody else uh, or just welcome somebody else the deeper foundation is that in the unity of you with the other there's something going on that changes us spiritually and makes that image of God more fully present, more fully real. We are transformed. So it's not just saying, oh, go be nice and go be supportive and go help somebody out. It's part of God's dream being fulfilled that we're going to come together and God will be dwelling among us uh, almost in this image of the new Jerusalem. It's trying to figure out a way to live in the kingdom of God now, that God's reign and realm is present. And it has a lot more to do with welcoming than it does with just going out and being nice. It's welcoming people in. But hold on to that thought. So another, another passage uh, that is used that I think uh, speaks very similar, if it speaks in a similar way, um, is one that, I know that I, in, in thinking about it now, I think about, gee, have I misused this, this uh, passage? Have I missed the boat on this? But I remember preaching so frequently about issues of spiritual gifts from uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. And we go through that, you know, if we've gone through that passage, we find out there's all these different gifts for different parts of the body. And the image of the body is one of the main images Paul uses to talk about the church. But um, there's a part of me that begins to wonder, is that too small? Is that too limiting to speak of the body only as the church? Is there something about the body of the family of God that needs to be um, willing to draw in other folks? Anyway, at verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12 of of 1 Corinthians reads, Christ is just like the human body. A body is a unit and has many parts, and all the parts of the body are one body, even though there are many. We were all baptized by one spirit into the body, whether Jew or Greek, slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. Certainly the body isn't one part, but many. And so I think the genius of Paul here is this idea that uh, the, the, the gift of the body of Christ is this place where these broken and separate parts uh, come together and the fullness of God dwells. So we were talking about uh, a couple of weeks ago about Jesus as the, 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 the human one or the son of man, his son, the way he refers to himself, is that one individual who fully and completely bears the image of God. And here what we have is if Jesus, the, the Son of God, the, you know, the Holy One, the Human One, um, however, whatever those phrases are that, that highlight who Jesus is, well, Jesus is now saying the church is his body. If, the, if, the, if Jesus holds the image of God in, in fullness, it is in the unity of this body that then we participate in that full image of God, the Imago Dei as well. And that we need others to help complete us, to 
fulfill that to make it more complete, uh, more completely the full image of God. Part of the challenge here is understanding what, what does God want for, I guess, what we might call unity, getting along with others. Um, how do we do that? How do we work with that? So there's a, some more quotes that I want to use just to kind of um, help us continue to think about some of these ideas. And like I said several weeks ago, I'm really surprised how much I'm enjoying Calvin as I read some things from John Calvin. Uh, John Calvin is quoted in a book called Making Room, Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition by Christine Pohl. And uh, I remember reading this book a number of years ago and was fascinated by it. And I kind of forgot uh, that Calvin was uh, mentioned in there. And just on reviewing that book recently, um, I found this passage. So uh, Christine Pohl quotes Calvin uh, as following. Calvin states, we should not regard what a man or a woman is and what he or she deserves, but we should go higher that it is God who has placed us in the world for such a purpose, that we be united and joined together. He has impressed and pressed his image in us and has given us a common nature, which should incite us to providing one for the other. The man who wishes to exempt himself from providing for his neighbors should deface himself and declare that he no longer wishes to be a human. For as long as we are human creatures, we must contemplate, as in a mirror, our face in those who are poor, despised, exhausted, who groan under their burdens. If there come some moor or barbarian, since he is a man, he brings a mirror in which we are able to contemplate that he is our brother and our neighbor. For we cannot abolish the order of nature, which God has established as inviolable. So another quote that I think fits really wonderfully well with that. There was a quote from um, Thomas Merton. Uh, Thomas Merton, uh, I believe Benedictine monk, um, and from a book called Conjectures of a Guilty Bystander. But I think it fits perfectly well with what John Calvin was just saying. Merton writes, In Louisville, at the corner of Fourth and Walnut, in the center of the shopping district, I was suddenly overwhelmed with the realization that I loved all these people, that they were mine, and I theirs that we could not be alien to one another, even though we were total strangers. If only they could all see themselves as they really are. If only we could see each other that way all the time. So I said I wanted to pick up the topic of hospitality. It And, and to me, hospitality, sometimes I think we all can um, think of it in different ways. I think frequently we, we think of it in terms of welcoming people into our spaces. And I think that's definitely, yeah, that's a, that's a common understanding. And if I'm not mistaken, 
um, the, uh, the, the idea here is we welcome strangers. That's, that's the essence of hospitality. And if I'm not mistaken, again, the word uh, stranger that's used in the New Testament, welcoming strangers, welcoming others, uh, is a word called xenophilia, which means uh, basically from another place and then the, for xeno and then love. Uh, stranger love is actually what it means. It means loving the stranger. So hospitality is connected with this idea of stranger loving, loving strangers. Uh, it's not fear, stranger, danger, like you know many of us are taught as children, but we're, we're not able to grow out of that sometimes it seems, um, that the stranger is the object of love. The the um, one of the scriptures that we had worked with a number of years ago was Luke chapter 10. And here in this uh, missionary formation, uh, almost a rite of passage, but at least a training session for the disciples, is Jesus sends them out into all the villages where he himself had intended to go. He, he hadn't gone there yet. They're like the, the scouting team. They're going out first. And he tells them to knock on the door and find a person of peace. And if a person of peace opens the door and welcomes them in, in they go. And I begin to wonder if that is the way that hospitality for the Christian is intended to work. Certainly, we welcome people into our spaces. But it seems as if, from that Luke passage, the essence of hospitality and actually loving the stranger is to be invited into their spaces. Not all will open the door. You may not find a person of peace there. And Luke says, and Luke's Jesus says, just wipe the dust from your feet and carry on. Uh, the peace that you give, it will return to you. You will be, you know, not, you'll be no less for the wear. So then, this idea of hospitality is not ex uh, exclusively limited to welcoming people into our space, but also welcoming others into ours, or being welcomed into theirs. Here's another quote, just to keep throwing some quotes at you uh, to build up this idea of, of what that might look like and what it means for us. So there's a, a book from uh, Scott McKnight, a New Testament scholar, I think, at Northern Seminary in Sioux Falls. Um, is that North or South Dakota? We'll call it Dakota. But he's in Sioux Falls. And just for your knowledge, uh, Northern Seminary tends to be, uh, it's, it's connected with the American Baptist tradition, but as a school, it is also part of the orbit of relationships among Anabaptists. So it uh, reflects uh, many of those uh, basic tenets of faith as well. So it's kind of, you know, kind of cousins of Mennonites over there at Northern. But uh, in Scott's book, he has a book called A Fellowship of Difference. And the word difference is not R-E-N-C-E, -E, it's difference, R-E-N-T-S, different, you know, people of different characters. So here's, a, here's a, some quotes from, from um, McKnight. 
There are three ways to eat salad, the American way, the weird way, and the right way. The American way of eating salad is to fill your bowl with some iceberg lettuce and some spinach leaves, maybe some tomato slices and olives, maybe some carrots, and then smother it with salad dressing. Ranch, or Thousand Island, or Italian, or for special occasions, Caesar. The weird way is to separate each item in your salad around on your plate, and then eat them as separate items. People who do this often do not even use dressing. As I said, weird. Now the right way to make and eat a salad is gather all your ingredients, some spinach, kale, chard, arugula, uh, iceberg, lettuce, if you must, and chop them into smaller bits. Then cut up some tomatoes, carrots, onions, red pepper, and purple cabbage. Add some nuts and dried berries, sprinkle in some pecorino, pecorino romano cheese, and finally drizzle over the salad some good olive oil, which somehow brings the taste of each item to its fullest. Surely, this is what God intended when he created mixed salad. So building on that metaphor, McKnight says, Christian life should model the Christian life. My claim is also that local churches shape how its people understand the Christian life. So let's think about this briefly. If the church is a mixed salad or a fellowship of difference, then we should see different genders at our church, do we? We should, it's interesting, and he'll go on in this quote, he'll keep asking that question, do we? And it's worth reading slowly and taking a pause and consider all the ways of thinking about this. So when we think of genders, there are more than two. In fact, Amazon, I think, lists 51, is it Amazon or Facebook, I think, lists 51 different genders. Um, and we'll back to the quote. I'm sorry, I digress. Uh, we should see different genders at church, do we? We should see different socioeconomic groups at church, do we? We should see different races at church, do we? We should see different cultures at church, do we? We should see different music styles at church, do we? We should see different artistic styles at church, do we? We should see different moral histories at church, do we? We should see different forms of communication at church, do we? We should see different ages involved at church, do we? We should see different marital statuses at church, do we? Even more. If the church is a mixed salad in a bowl, we should understand the Christian life as a fellowship of difference. Do we? End quote. So I really miss my conversation partner. It's really weird not having Carla to bounce these ideas off and uh, for her to go uh, and to, to uh, offer some insight. So that's probably enough for today. So I want to think about... I want, I want us to think about some of these biblical metaphors that are used in the epistles about oneness, about unity, about the two becoming one, about bearing with one another, uh, and even about the unity of the body of Christ. And hearken back to the beginning of Genesis 1 and 2 in the opening pages of, of the story of the beginning of everything. 
the full image of the human being is there present as everybody in the whole world and actually two people but as everybody in the whole world is together that's when the image of god is in its fullness for human beings god wants to bring people back together it's god's heart god's desire so reflect on those scriptures and uh, i'll have some of these quotes uh, listed out in the uh, podcast notes to to think about and think about the kind of salad we want i really love those metaphors of the american way the weird way and the right way and sometimes i worry that i find myself eating salad the weird way or the american way and sometimes the right way but how do we build that up how do we build up on that metaphor so I think that's probably enough for now, and um, we'll talk about this in a few days. And I'll look forward to having my, my podcast partner back with me, hopefully next week. All right, well, hey, thank you for uh, listening to our conversation. Not holier than you. <laughs> uh, and boy, we really like that title because I think it's true. Correct. <laughs> well, you have to say it so quickly. Oh, I'm sorry. I know I'm not holier than anybody else. Oh, I thought else you meant here. me. Okay. No, no, no. So, I'm talking to, about myself. Uh, so we're a couple of pastors. Yep. We pastor a small congregation of Anabaptist Mennonites here in, in Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Meridian, Idaho. Yep. We're just learning this stuff and trying to figure it out along with you. So if you if we say something that's heretical or horrible or you think we're just wrong, that's okay. We probably we might be. We're learning as we go. Well, I don't think we're heretical in no. any way, but um, <laughs> I try a little. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, um, we are glad that you joined us, and we hope that you'll join us again. Right. All right. See ya. Thank you. Bye. Bye.